Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon. Actually, good morning to you today, Kobus. Good morning. Uh, usually we're recording a little bit later in the afternoon, so you've thrown me off here a little bit. But uh, let's start today talking about... Uh, Li Keqiang in Africa. So he's been on a four-nation tour. Uh, he stopped. Uh, first, he was in Ethiopia. Then he went to Nigeria. Then he went to Angola. And he finally ended up in Kenya. Uh, and it's been an eventful week in the China-Africa space. We've uh, had tons of articles, no shortage of articles to post on our Facebook page. Uh, but today, we're going to look back at the trip and kind of what it meant. Kobus, what we're going to avoid doing is doing a kind of play-by-play of each deal that he went through, and and you know the the you know the minutia of it because we covered that pretty extensively in his in the preview of the trip. What I'd like to talk to you about is kind of give me a broad overview of what he accomplished on the trip, and then I'd like to go into the trends and kind of some of the the, the themes that we can pick up from his visit. So, give us some of some you know some of the highlights, if you will. I think the first one-liner would be that he managed to position himself even more intimately in in the context of African development. So um, two of the big the big kind of um, numbers that actually made what surprised me is that he promised to to quadruple um, investment. Uh, Chinese investment in in Africa to 100 billion dollars and to double trade volumes to 400 billion dollars. So I mean that that's those are pretty big promises. Um, well, hold on, let me interrupt you. Also, let me put yeah. one more impressive number that came up during it. 50% of all China's foreign aid, he said, is going to be committed to Africa as well. Yeah, so that's another yeah. impressive number. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, and he also he threw himself into um, you know kind of specific kind of projects for including uh, you know a project that has been pushed for a long time in Africa to to set up a big um, cross continental um, high speed rail system. Um, that he expressed support for that. He said that they're going to set set up a research and development center for that. Um, he expressed uh, support of regional aviation um, and and then you know kind of general uh, you know a heap of other deals. So. It's it's interesting that he um, the you know from the beginning the foreign ministry was underplaying resource deals um, you know kind of particularly kind of commodity and mining deals got almost no mention um, and you know in in com- compared to that there was a lot of discussion about these these kind of like uh, you know kind of infrastructure kind of deals that that's going to move African development ahead as a whole. Well, two words I think will be the legacy of this trip, and people will remember these two words for quite some time. Growing pains. That was a, a phrase that he used to describe China-Africa relations, and it was a, I think, a brilliant move. In part because it suggested that just you know, growing pains are the. It's a great metaphor. It means that things are growing up and maturing, and will eventually be strong. But right now, we're encountering some difficulties. But in some ways, it represented a level of humility that you don't really see from from major superpowers. And I find it unusual, in part because. Right now, as we speak, China is engaged in a brutal form of politics right now with its neighbors in Asia and extraordinarily aggressive. And yet in Africa, we're seeing this humility. We're seeing this humbleness that you don't see in the other parts of the world. So it, it is very interesting to me to watch kind of China's global diplomacy in action right now. The confrontation going on with the Japanese and the Vietnamese in the South and East China Seas versus a humility about growing pains in Africa. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, it, it it was even more more kind of um, you know interesting in, in the context of all of the other state visits that happened almost or at the same time as his visit. So um, Kishida Fumio, uh, the Japanese foreign minister, was in Africa recently, and then obviously John Kerry was also there. Um, and it was quite interesting, as you pointed out, that the humility of the growing pains metaphor st- stood in interesting contrast with Kerry, who you know kind of who pledged, uh, for example, help to uh, to run the DRC. Elect coming elections, and then also kind of took time out to 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 say that you know that they would prefer it if um, you know kind of if the current leader doesn't run again. Um, so you know kind of it's it's interesting. You know, kind of America seems to be a little bit stuck in this kind of talking from above kind of role, um, whereas China, I think, is is very efficiently and and, and interestingly positioning itself on the ground. Well, it's you know, kind of from, from a bottom up. It's funny that you bring up the comparison to Kerry versus uh, versus Lee, in part because they did overlap their tour there. Uh, and I go back to the the interesting prospect that Howard French put out on Twitter, uh, suggesting that it, what an impact it would have been if Kerry and Lee showed up in South Sudan together. But in hindsight, and you, as to your point, the tone of each of these leaders is so different from one. And, and they represent completely different countries and agendas, of course. But as you said, in the DRC, Kerry verbal, openly communicated that he doesn't want Joseph Kabila to run again, which the Chinese would, I think, be horrified for, because that, of course, is the internal, the intervention in the internal affairs of other countries that they really want to uh, stay, stay away from, for the most part, the, the, the civil and the political side. Uh, but it, it, it was a nice contrast to show the different approaches. Let me, you know, let me ask you one question about uh, you know, the public diplomacy and the communication side of it. You and I have never been very complimentary of the Chinese and their ability to effectively communicate on a PR basis. It seems to me on this trip that they did a pretty good job. That is, in the run-up to the trip, they set the expectations of what he was going to do. And then throughout the trip, they were effectively communicating along the way, as you said, trying to diversify the message beyond natural resource extraction to get away from this kind of colonialism message to kind of put a softer side of China through. And looking back, surprisingly, I have to give praise and compliment to the Chinese foreign ministry and even Li himself for effectively getting those messages through. I agree. I agree. You know, kind of. The, I think. I think the visit in to humanize him, um, which is difficult with with Chinese, you know, high level Chinese diplomats, because they're so, you know, obviously, you know, kind of. It's it's much less of a of a personality game than American politics. Um, so we, you know, kind of foreign publics tend to know less about these people, um, and um, you know, they they visually they 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 read us so sober, always the same kind of dark suit, you know, same kind of hairstyle, and I think they managed to overcome that. I think they managed to actually like warm warm his image up a little bit. Well, if they affect, if they warmed his image up, uh, what do you think the response was from the point of view of the African public? Now, obviously, I'm not there, uh, but I can see at least online following the major blogs across the continent, following uh, the major media coverage, that I didn't see any dissent. I did not see a single – I saw some critical coverage saying, you know, African leaders need to address X, Y, and Z. But not like when you see – even when Xi Jinping came, there was, you know, anti-ivory and, and those types of protests that kind of popped up from here to here and there. Uh, certainly when Obama uh, went to Africa, there was a lot of dissent that showed up across the blogosphere and in the media. Uh, there was none here. Why is that? And is that because, in fact, the message that was being conveyed by Lee was in sync with the what people want to hear? 
or is it because the media isn't as sufficiently sophisticated to report on it? Why do you think that there was such glowing positive uh, news coverage on this? I would say it's a bit of both of those. Um, you know, kind of obviously this time he wasn't in South Africa. Um, so, and the, the South African media and, you know, kind of is, is stronger on all levels, okay. you know, kind of including blogging um, and, you know, and official media. Um, so, so and, and also more critical. Yeah. Um, so, so there's there's that. Um, and then also I think this, the African media was distracted by the fact that it was the South African election this, this week. Um, you know, so I think South Africa kind of knocked off of of some of the of the headlines a little bit, um, and to that and, point as well. Um, let me interrupt you, yeah. but to that point as well, Boko Haram in Nigeria yes, also dominated exactly. the headlines yes. uh, and put Lee in a little bit of an interesting kind of position because you know this is an area where he's they're not used to kind of crisis you know communication and whatnot, and so Lee was forced to kind of commit Chinese support as well along with the United States to help find the two hundred plus kidnapped girls out of Nigeria. But I, I guess in some some ways with the ANC elections going on and the Boko Haram kidnappings, do you think that helped or hurt? That is, you know, one could make the argument that the Chinese do like to fly under the radar a little bit, and they do like to kind of be a little bit more quiet, a little bit more low-key. So in fact, if everybody was distracted and they get to do their elite diplomacy, that's just fine. The flip side of that might be, well, they want these high-profile visits to generate the attention, to generate the goodwill, and to really help shift public opinion uh, in terms of the thinking of the Chinese. And so when they get knocked off the headlines, that does them some damage. Which side of that do you fall on? I think it actually helped them because, you know, if in a, in a situation where they're not even the biggest story in Nigeria, you know, during his visit to Nigeria, what ends up happening is, okay, sure, he's not on necessarily on the front page, but it also means that there's, there's much less energy to negatively report about China, which means that there is a certain level of reporting about him, but almost all of it is, is just covering deals um, and covering kind of, you know, kind of essentially positive news. So he ends up being the kind of positive of counterweight to to the kind of bungling of the Nigerian government, you know, kind of in dealing with Boko Haram. Um, and I think it actually worked out pretty well for him, as far as I could see. Well, it may have worked out well for him, but certainly the big loser this week in terms of media was President Goodluck Jonathan in Nigeria, who really wanted yeah. to use the World Economic Forum as a, you know, as, as to put Abuja and Nigeria on the world stage, as, you know, this was, I think, the first time that the WEF was holding it in Africa. And he really wanted to kind of, you know, crown Nigeria as the, as the continent's largest economy, and yet at the same time, he was overwhelmed by the the story of the the 200 girls being kidnapped. So that yeah, is, and I mean, you know, kind of the the fact not only that they got kidnapped because you know just in a, in a cold blooded kind of media spin sense, you what one could possibly you know kind of portray that as as. Uh, you know, as his, his government as as kind of bravely fighting against these these fanatics, but the then the the you know the the added kind of revelation that the government the Nigerian government probably knew about the kidnapping before it happened, you know, or the danger of the kidnapping before it happened, and then also it just it just looked terrible. Yeah, and it it, it allowed. Uh, Prime Minister Lee to also speak about terrorism, which is something that is very controversial back home. He did issue a few comments on it. Uh, you know, China's facing a, a number of terrorism problems on its own soil. Uh, again, I'm not going to get into whether they're justified or not, because that's extremely contentious. But uh, there was another terrorist attack in the Guangzhou rail station just on during Prime Minister Lee's trip. So he did draw the comparison between it. And it does put 
I guess in some ways, China as an equal to African countries in the sense that they're both confronting terrorism. So, okay, there you go. Moving on from that. Key question now, which is looking at the foreign press coverage, the international coverage. And to be honest with you, I was also surprised. So I was surprised that the African media was so glowing and positive and not critical. And then I guess I was a little bit surprised that here we are now, almost 10 plus years into the Chinese engagement in Africa, you know, elites in, in, in the US, in Europe have woken up to this to some degree, but to see nothing in the French media, for example, and when I mean nothing, we're talking a donut hole on Le Monde, uh, nothing on France 24, nothing on Radio France International, and the reason why I find this so funny, I mean, on borderline hysterical, is that if you actually go inside these organizations, and full disclosure, I was employed by both Radio France International and France 24 when I was the editor-in-chief of the digital group, they are obsessed with Africa. And what's funny when you go to the, and I mean obsessed, it is really on a level of obsession. But I think it's very important that it's French Africa that they focus most of their attention on. Interestingly, uh, the Chinese prime minister did not step into any French francophone country, uh, but he got no attention. But at the same time, I was curious, Kobus, to, to get your take on this, because the French have recognized, at least President Hollande, that now... Africa is important to compete with the Chinese. And he's made it a priority to get back in the game there and to, to even extend French business beyond Francophone Africa. And yet, there was this huge gaping hole in the French awareness of Africa, and it's China. And yet, you would think that there would be at least some analysis, some reflection, and there was nothing. And I just, it's stunning to me how, how the editorial choices are made in, in Paris, and yet every little, every little detail of the Central African Republic or Mali or Rwanda or any of these French-speaking countries is covered, and yet the Chinese prime minister tours through Africa, and there's not a single story. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, it, it it does make one think that there that maybe there is a situation where France really, where Africa only really exists in the French imagination as a part of France. You know that it's it's almost impossible to think of Africa as an independent place um, with its own independent needs. And you know, kind of where, where where something like a kind of a cross-continental rail system would be big news, you know that that it only exists as this kind of you know kind of there's uh, the only space for Africa is this idea of of it having an umbilical core to France. Maybe I mean I, I you know I'm not really part of that world, so I don't really know, but that that's the feeling that I got maybe from a bit of a cynical for African perspective. Yeah, I mean Al Jazeera did quite a bit of coverage, so they deserve mm. a little bit of praise. The New York Times did a little bit. The American media Wall wasn't. Wall Street Journal. Wall Street did, Journal. Yeah. The print did. There was nothing in the electronic media, in the in the broadcast media, which is surprising. In the sense, again, that this is an opportunity to put the story onto the mainstream coverage just once a year, because these types of visits don't happen very often. And when they didn't happen, again, I just find it surprising. But it's not surprising in one sense because. The worldview of the editors in most U.S. newsrooms and most French newsrooms, just to take two, uh, is, is extraordinarily narrow. And I speak from, you know, 20 plus years experience in newsrooms in both of those uh, countries. So, uh, you know, but it's just why is there such cluelessness even to this day? And it, it well, there you go. And that's why it's because there just isn't much coverage. If you do a Google News search for Li Keqiang, China Africa, Chinese Africa, any of those key words, 
you're predominantly going to find a lot of English language Chinese coverage, so CCTV, People's Daily, English, whatnot. And you'll find a lot of the kind of official African press coverage that is standard media, the Angola news agencies and whatnot. So there wasn't an enormous amount of press coverage that kind of came out of the the usual suspects, if you will. It was really much right down the line. Um, I guess in some ways, is that because do you think it's because it was not the president, Xi Jinping, who did generate a lot more coverage and it was the prime minister? Uh, Is it because people were distracted with other bigger stories? Or is it also, let me just throw this one out to you, you know, they're kind of over the story a little bit. You know, he signed a bunch of infrastructure deals. He did some natural resources deals. What's new here? I would think that, you know, kind of I would raise a fourth possibility is that it might also have to do with the shrinking size of of, foreign, of Western bureaus in Africa. Um, you know, kind of it's again back to the fact that, that they were also dealing with the South African election and Boko Haram, um, that maybe they just didn't have the personnel. You know, kind of to follow him. Maybe the one person in Nigeria was busy was busy covering Boko Haram, and they just didn't have another person available. Yeah. You no, know, that's because possible. The, the the bureaus had been had been cut so aggressively um, that you know, kind of that, that that might have contributed to these kind of choices. Well, I'll tell you um, with with all the other ones that you raised. Yeah, well, I'll tell you just from personal experience as somebody who in Paris just a few years ago, not even that long ago tried to pitch China-Africa stories, big China-Africa stories, to the editors at Radio France International and at France 24. Uh, There was just a a wall of, no, they're not interested. This is not a big story. So uh, at least in France, I mean, when, when someone like Le Monde, who does have the bureau resources across Africa, doesn't actually deploy somebody from, you know, one of the, the Marrakesh, the, from the Tunis, from any of the, the, the Francophone bureaus to go cover this, I thought that was interesting. And I think it really does the West an enormous disservice because they are missing out on the subtleties of the evolution of Chinese diplomacy. So my final kind of reflection on Li Keqiang's visit was I thought it was much, much more savvy diplomacy than I expected. I thought he really was very effective at changing the subject, at engaging, at speaking to the issues that Africans wanted to hear about. He talked about poverty elimination, about infrastructure development, about wildlife in Kenya, which we didn't think they were going to bring up. He committed $10 million. You know, granted, that is a whatever. It's a, uh, you know, 10 million bucks isn't anything, is a drop in the bucket for what they're fighting against. But he took the issue head on. It showed that they weren't uh, insecure about talking about poaching. Uh, So I thought that this was a a very important trip in terms of the evolution of, of Chinese diplomacy in Africa, and that they are getting smarter. They are not shying away from the difficult subjects. So he gets a, you know, in my view, an A minus in some respects. I mean, that was a a overall. And and again, I put this out there as full disclosure. I am no fan of the Chinese diplomacy, and I am no fan of the Chinese government in many respects. So I don't say this out of any allegiance to the Chinese government. I'm actually giving you my honest opinion that that I think he did a really good job, and the trip should be considered a big success. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think I think China came out of the trip looking much better than they went in. Um, you know, kind of he he established himself as another kind of friendly face, you know, next to Xi Jinping um, in in the kind of African imagination. Um, and I think his his, his um, choices of countries were savvy. Um, he, you know, it, it was really interesting. You know, kind of it's really um, it it seemed almost like you know, kind of I mean, one doesn't want to over overread it, but it seems like a kind of a maturing 
of, of you know kind of Chinese diplomacy in Africa. Yeah, very interesting. Well, what do you think? We'd love to hear from you. We, uh, we've been posting updates and discussions on this on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project, closing in on 180,000 followers, mostly from Africa and South Asia, interestingly. But a great discussion is going on over there. We'd love for you to participate, share your thoughts, share your comments on the show, on what we think. Maybe you think what we're saying is completely off base. We are humble enough, like the Chinese prime minister, to, uh, to say, you know what? Tell us, and we're, we're absolutely open to the discussion and the debate, and you'll see over there again at uh, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. I also wanted to let everybody know that our mobile app on the uh, on iPhone uh, in iOS is back up again. We were uh, we had some, some problems, but now we're back up again. So if you want to listen to this podcast, a great way to do it is download the app in the iTunes App Store, uh, and then you can go right to the podcast button there and listen to the latest show. We update them uh, two to three times a week. And of course, if you want to follow the show on iTunes, just look for us, China Africa Project. Uh, we're doing almost 100,000 downloads a month now. So it's uh, really exciting to see the growth of the show and the interest in this subject. So we'll be back again next time with another edition of the China and Africa podcast. Until then, thank you so much for listening.